Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So we have a couple things to promote that are pretty cool. So first, I'm going to be at the Milk and Global Conference in L.A., which is pretty exciting. And I will be on a panel with... Three folks that we've always wanted to have on the show, and now they will be on the show. We will, I will just grab them, and then they will be on the show whether they like it You're or not. You're on notice, panelists. <laughs> and that is John Cohen from SurveyMonkey, who we frequently give shout-outs to. Uh, Alex Lundry, Republican data guy, who I know for sure listens to the show. Uh, and Molly Ann Brody with the Kaiser Family Foundation. So um, those are all three awesome folks. I can't believe we have not had Alex Lundry on the show yet. It's true. I, We're sorry, Alex, but don't worry. Okay. We're well, going to fix all of that. I know. And John Cohen, I mean, well, we've had Mark Blumenthal, obviously, who's on, who works with John at SurveyMonkey. And so we've had Mark on. But um, but we've always wanted to have all those folks on. So now we will. At least I will grab them. They won't have a choice. And on Tuesday, April 26th, I am going to be the host and uh, MC slash moderator for an event being hosted in D.C. Uh, for Virgin Atlantic uh, with Richard Branson. Um, it is the 20th anniversary of uh, the airline flying between London and Washington. And so they're having a celebration of entrepreneurship and what makes Washington uh, an exciting city to do business in. So I will be the host of the event. I will be on stage with Richard Branson chatting with him for like 90 minutes, which is crazy town. That is so Uh, cool. So yeah, so you can stream this online. Um, We will tweet out links to all of this. Um, But please uh, check us out. Pollsters out in the wild. That's right. That's right. So what are the top lines? Well, we had the Big Apple aftermath. What happened in the Empire State on Tuesday with the New York primaries? Is the Democratic race done and over with? Is Trump on a roll? Um, And speaking of apples, we'll also talk about Apple's the company Apple's fight over encryption and what people think about it. Uh, the jury is out on jury duty. We will talk a little bit about what Americans think about this civic obligation. Uh, and finally, there is a fantastic ad out there by Organic Valley uh, that uses polling data to describe what women's mornings are really like. We will discuss. They really get me. Um, but what's the poll of the week, The Margie? poll of the week. Speaking of a great place to do business, um, there has been some data by um, the website Area Vibes, and it was in the post. And this is one of the more popular things we posted on our Facebook page, not quite as popular as Man Sneaks Into Lunt's group or the Organic Valley ad, which we're going to talk about later. But um, they 
decided they found the 10 snobbiest small towns in America. So this is not like all of San Francisco. This is small towns. And the top three are basically Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase is number one. Somerset, which I guess is an offshoot of Chevy Chase. This is Maryland, the town in Maryland, folks. This is not Chevy Chase, the former Saturday Night Live star for folks who don't live in the area. Um, And Martin's Edition, which is you know, I only drove through once. The ways took me through there when the Beltway was really backed up. And I, <laughs> after, and I was like, where am I? This is so cute. Look at this little lovely hamlet. Like, how far <laughs> – am I still in Maryland? Like, when will I get to the office? So I did I did drive once through there. So those are the three snobby estates. I feel like cities. Waze has been kind of rogue lately. Is this just – am I hallucinating this? Like, Waze has taken me some very questionable routes. Yeah, I had a bad – I had to come back. I had a drive to New Jersey yesterday and I there and back in time for focus groups, which we are, are also going to talk about later. Oh, yes. I can't wait. <laughs> and there were three lanes were closed on the Delaware Memorial Bridge and Waze was like – first they told me to go some other bridge, that one that goes, you know, a uh, different p- part of the river. Um, but then said, no, just barrel through the Delaware Memorial Bridge and I was just there in traffic for like 45 minutes screaming, watching like the Waze time like just tick away. Oh, you know? that's the worst. I am the always worst. really amused though when I'm driving somewhere that's like 45 minutes away and it predicts – like I get in the car and it's like you will arrive at 716 and I'm like, all right, well, let's see if that's true. And then I literally pull up into the spot at 716 and I'm like – all right, ways. Sometimes, sometimes you work, but lately it's been kind of getting sketchy on me. So you Sorry, need to plug in Martin's edition and see what happens. But here's how they picked it. It's not just snobby based on like just some vibe, your area vibe, I guess. They came up with some criteria, median home price, median household income, percentage of population with a college degree. Okay. Private schools per capita. Okay. Theaters per capita. Okay. I don't know how many theaters there are in Martin's Edition or Chevy Chase. Maybe but it's like within a certain radius. I don't like, know. Like does the Kennedy Center count for – well, anyhow. I don't know. Art galleries per capita. So when you look at that, those criteria, Chevy Chase and Chevy Chase accessories are very high on the list while places like Scarsdale, number six, Hewlett Bay Park in New York. I'm not sure where that is. Hunter's Creek Village in Texas. Again, these are small towns are in the, round out the top ten. So people like that. Everyone loves to – Pick on Chevy Chase and talk about how snobby it is. Now there's some actual data to back it up, which I think is why it was so popular <laughs> on uh, on our Facebook page. Well, let's talk about those elites and the people who are fighting against them in the 2016 race. <laughs> those actually, Chevy Chase is inside the Beltway, right? Yes, it sure is. So, well, there we go. They're the enemy. Just right. to come apart, by the way. <laughs> You Beltway insider, we you. are not. We are not in the top ten. <laughs> I feel like Tacoma Park's vibe is different. Like snobby would not be the word for Tacoma Park. You know, there's always somebody who's on the outside and somebody who's on the inside. You know, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, but yeah, maybe define a different way. So we just had a very big race in New York, obviously, uh, this past week. And I guess this is going to be the last episode where I talk about New York jokes and New York food. If you listen to the Steve Shepard interview, which was very cool. He's a fellow New Yorker. He's the Poland reporter from Politico. We had an interview with him this past week. We asked him about political New York food moments. But so we're coming. That's all coming to a close today, I'm afraid. But on the Democratic side, um, there was a, obviously a very clear win for uh, Hillary Clinton. And 
she did, you know, she did well across the board with a variety of different demographic groups, there, with a few exceptions that I think are comparable to what we've seen in other states, but still worth noting. They tied with whites, um, but that came from white men. She won with white women, uh, lost with white men. So it was really, you know, younger voters. White men, where um, where Sanders won, uh, and also some rural and outstate uh, places, rather than uh, in the city, um, where where she was strong. And there's been a lot of talk about this sort of rock'em sock'em, you know, Democratic primary. It's so tough; they're all attacking each other. It's so stressful, and you know, hurting everybody. It's hurting the party. Sanders needs to lay off. And Obviously, as folks know, my, you know, my husband's on Team Sanders, but we don't need to look at Team Sanders. We just look at the exit polls. And the exit polls show that 66% of Democratic primary voters in New York said they feel the Democratic campaign has mostly energized the primary. 30% said divided the party. The numbers are just about reversed on the Republican side in New York, where only about a third say of Republicans say the primaries energized the party. A majority of Republicans say it's been divisive. So it's pretty clear to me – there's been other polling like this nationally – that the Democratic primary, however contentious it may be, is not really hurting the race. I mean she won. So obviously it's not hurting her because she won decisively. Like I just don't really understand the argument. But I don't feel there are a lot of people – I don't feel like this is a very popular opinion. Well, I I think that the idea is that Hillary Clinton was – expected to win and win so cleanly and so quickly that the fact that there's now a race that has dragged on for so long, that Sanders remains so popular, that, you know, she didn't just put him away after South Carolina, that he's outraised her for the last two months. And so I think, you know, it's like, wow, well, wait, this race is still dragging on. And inevitably, you kind of run out of the ability to keep talking about the exact same contrasts. And suddenly it's more like... But but I mean, on the Democratic side, the meanest things that are being said is somebody saying someone's not qualified to be president, and then the response is like, "Well, but you said it first. I mean, that's <laughs> like it was a in compliment the he- on it, the Republican side right. at this point. Right. It was in the headline, but not a direct quote. Like that's basically ooh burn. <laughs> like like Ouch. as if like y'all are throwing chairs at each other over there. Meanwhile, here on the Republican side, I it's know, like. Right. Trump just unloads a bazooka every morning with breakfast at everybody. Like it's so it's like, oh, this is adorable. But I mean, clearly Republican <laughs> primary voters get that this primary is a, a damaging mess for the party. Yeah, I mean, Gallup showed Our it too. voters are aware. Yes, Gallup showed it too. I mean, it, there was a Gallup poll, and this is national, that Republican voters say the Republican nomination contest is hurting the party. Um, only a quarter of Democrats feel that way. So the numbers are, are reversed. Again, that's national. That's not just New York. Um, you know, the other thing, the other theory of what happened in New York is that because Sanders said that Clinton is unqualified, that really got women voters all sort of, you know, uh, upset, feeling that he had, you know, used language, coded language to say that Clinton was unqualified in a way that's, you know, gendered. And... You know, the word unqualified when it comes to women in the workplace, obviously, that's a that's a landmine that all candidates and people who talk about this sort of stuff should be aware of for sure. I don't really think that that's what he meant to say. That doesn't seem like what he meant to say from the context. He certainly backed away from it. And then again, turning to the data. So let's, you know, let's look at the data rather than just my own opinion. Um, 
Refinery29, sort of the millennial-focused website, and ABC partnered on a poll of millennial women. And it was really – I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. Folks should check it out. It is beautifully done. Like, I haven't really seen a lot of beautifully designed sites to talk about polling Ooh, numbers. That's my favorite. It's cool, right? So with, you know, infographics and, you know, it's, it's clearly professionals, not just sort of data visualization. It was actually meant to, to look super cool. Um and um, so there's lots of stuff in there. I mean, clearly, no surprise, these women are disproportionately Democratic. Two-thirds of them were um, scared about Trump. Um, they, you know, they're younger voters. And so they, you know, they gravitate towards Sanders. And, and then Clinton, before getting to the rest of the field, I mean, you have more of these women saying they find Sanders inspirational and so on. Um, they also uh, almost half, not quite half, but almost half, 45 percent say that they are uh, they consider themselves feminists, but even among the feminists of these millennials, so that not all the millennials consider themselves feminists, but of the feminists, um, half of the feminists say that they're voting for Sanders and then over a quarter for Clinton. So, I, you know, I guess this just goes to this, you know, point that I've made before that, you know, hopefully I can articulate clearly that that there, there isn't necessarily for younger women a gendered case for Clinton, and that, and not that they're rejecting her for a gendered reason, but they're looking toward Sanders for something else. Well, and if you look at the issues in this poll that they say um, are are the most important, it says you know apart from the big issue, and I have a little bit of question with the question wording on this, since we haven't had a good like question wording quibble on this show lately. Yes. I, I want to take issue with this, but I think the results are interesting. It says apart from the big issues like terror. Terrorism, economy, healthcare, and immigration. There are other issues that may come up in the presidential campaign. Of the ones I list, tell me which one is the most important to you. That's funny. And I, so I feel like a lot of these that I'm about to list all kind of link to those issues that right. were at the top. Wait, like, um, what do you mean aside from those five aside issues? Aside from those five issues. Wait a minute. Hang so on. Oh, those fixed, I guess. Right. Um, because then the top two in this poll are 21% saying economic inequality and 21% saying student loan debt. Well, first of all, isn't economic inequality? An economic issue. Like, I guess I just, I'm a little, I mean, I get if you separate out economic growth from economic inequality, but even there, that's really splitting hairs, I think, for a lot of people. And equal pay for women, you can argue, is an economic issue. Um, But here, you know, when you think about the, the issues that we, that are sometimes considered like gendered political issues... Um, You have, you know, that combined 42 percent who talk about income inequality and student loan debt, which are big Bernie Sanders themes. When you look at the issues that are, um, you know, equal pay for women, that's only 11 percent preserving access to abortion. That's 11 percent. So there it's, you know, it is these the issues that Bernie Sanders has made central to his campaign are the ones that poll at the top of this admittedly weirdly right question. Right, right, right. Right. So, well, anyway, just some just some thoughts. I think, you know, the Clinton win was clearly based on her, you know, home state advantage. Also her, I thought, um, strength in the media cycle, the, you know, the the intense media cycle and scrutiny in New York, which, you know, I, other folks have talked about. But um, but demographically, the where she won is very much the similar to what it's very much similar to where she's been strong in other states and, you know, where it is now. 
now, the race now, is I guess you could argue, you know, she's as strong as she was before. I mean, instead of Sanders needing 56 to 57 percent of the vote on average to get to a majority of pledged delegates, which is where he was before, New York now needs like 58 or 59 percent. So those are all really hard. (laughs) Whether it's 56 or 59, it's all pretty hard. Um, So, you know, uh, the polls show that he has a um, a tough hill ahead of him in uh, Connecticut and Maryland and Pennsylvania, which are the next wave of states. But but we'll see. I feel like there were a lot of folks who I, I can only assume are not listeners to this show who treated the results in New York like they were this big, groundbreaking, this changes the race I know. sort of thing. Um, so I went on Morning Joe on Wednesday right after the show or right after the election. And of course, you know, Scarborough's thing is like, I'm the only one that knew that Trump was going to be a thing. All these other pundits underestimate him. You know, I mean, I, lo- I, I, I love going on the show. Joe's great. But like he's always on the like, I'm the one that is the most right about Trump and all you other morons were wrong. And he was making a really big deal. Like, look, this just proves like Trump is rolling all of you. And like, this is so big. And like the phrase was used, Cruz's campaign is on life support. And I was like, no, like, look, I'm I'm not a Cruz booster. But like, we've known that Trump was going to dominate in New York forever. Right. The Like the first time we talked about his polls on the show it was like, yeah, Trump's up by like 50. When was Cruz ever going to be competitive in yeah, New York? New Never. York values. And Never. Yeah, attacking New York values back in Iowa. Like, clearly, this is not going to happen for him. And then, hey, spoiler alert, guys. Cruz is going to come in third in a whole bunch of states on Tuesday. He is going to get crushed in Connecticut. He's going to get crushed in Maryland. He's going to get crushed in Delaware. He might pull off some delegates in Pennsylvania because they have the squirrely way of doing it there. Yeah. Who, Rhode Island, I don't even know. Who knows? There's not even that many people in Rhode Island, so you probably, I don't even know how you would poll them. You just call all the Republicans in Rhode Island and do the poll. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding, Rhode Island. I love you, Rhode Island. You're a lovely state. Uh, but, you know, if for people that are like, oh, this changes the momentum of everything. Like, no, it means the people who are still the front runners are still the front runners. Yeah. That everything we kind of knew was going to happen Happens. weeks ago happened. Yeah. And guess what? Next week it's going to happen again, too. Yeah. Big changes, big wins, not big changes. Or you could use, you know, I heard Kellyanne Conway, who has been on the show, say this uh, you know, winning your home state, a bar so low, even John Kasich could do it. <laughs> Wow. That's a delightful burn, Kellyanne. She's good with the ziggers. High five for you. So I did, I did look at the exit polls, though, to see – is there anything in the exit polls that is shocking at all or weird? Um, and there were – for instance, you know, Trump wins a majority – well, actually, they did not release crosstabs for millennials because they only made up 10 percent of the electorate. So we don't know how Trump did with millennials. But there was not a, as huge an age division as we've seen other places. Because he was so dominant, he just cleaned up with, like, every demographic. Right. But Cruz only won a quarter of evangelicals in New York. I mean, and I get that there maybe there just aren't as many as in other states. But of the ones who are there, that Cruz only won a quarter of them, that's like, ooh, okay. Well, that's not good for you. Um, And then the other thing that I thought was interesting is the conventional wisdom is closed primaries are better for somebody like a Cruz. If independents can participate or if people, you know, I mean, I know in New York you had to register at a certain point, but there were people in the exit polls. There was a slice of like people who consider themselves independent. Right. Um, And those folks actually only half of them broke for Trump. The actual Republican Republicans, far more of them, 64 percent voted for Trump. So wow. this was like the other – normally it's like uh, 
well, Trump doesn't do well with the real Republicans. He does well with all these faux Republicans he's bringing in. But no, not not in New York. He didn't. Um, And then Trump won a majority of those saying that immigrants should have a path to citizenship, like continuing this. Hey, Trump's not just an immigration candidate. That's not his only appeal. So. So and it, but it was something. So I, since we're now talking about the Republican side and what we found last night, uh, we did these latest wave and Walmart mom focus groups. And folks may remember when we had Neil Newhouse, who's my Republican partner in crime on that project, uh, as a guest on the show uh, several months ago in October. Um, so we did another wave last night, and we did two groups. One group of swing voters, swing voting moms in suburban Philly, and another group of Republican moms in the Pittsburgh area. Half of them were Trump voters and half of them were not Trump voters, but Republican primary voters. And so just to back up a second, these are these are moms with kids under 18 living at home who've shopped at a Walmart in the last month, sponsored by Walmart. Um, but they're pretty diverse. They represent about 14 percent of the electorate overall. Um, but what was fascinating was well a lot of a lot of similarity in terms of how people view Trump, his image, right? How can you make a caricature out of his image? And it's pretty clear what people thought. So we did this exercise in both groups, and and this is a group that people have been doing in political focus groups for a jillion years. Um, but it's still entertaining for everybody, especially when you're reading the live tweets. As I I was live tweeting last night, so it was Neil. Kristen was watching. Lots of other people were watching. Um, you know, how? what car or animal would you use to describe Donald Trump, right? And the things were pretty hilarious, like muscle car, Rolls-Royce limo, uh, you know, Escalade, um, Porsche, Ferrari, <laughs> Beast, Lion, <laughs> Clown car. Before I fully realized what these tweets were about, I was just – all I saw Margie tweeting was like – like Sanders, Honda, Koala Bear. And I'm like, is Margie okay? Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> it was pretty funny. Anaconda was one of the funnier, like, Trump ones. That, oh, my God. Like, what does that mean? What do all these things mean, right? Um, you know what an anaconda has? Small hands. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Maybe that's what they meant. I don't know. Uh, and the the Sanders ones were all like these like kind of old trusty cars like Ford Escort with 300,000 miles on it and, you know, to- like a Camry or a Taurus, like a like just reliable car that you haven't, you know, your neighbor's dog that um, your old family Labrador that can't really do tricks anymore. That was what people said. Or koala bear. So they kind of ran the gamut. And then um, for Kasich, it was like a kitten because he's mild. <laughs> Which anybody who's ever met John Kasich would probably laugh at that. That's right. He's not really known for being mild or like parakeet. <laughs> Actually – parakeet maybe like his hair i don't know i think it was like a parakeet that nobody wanted to buy or something like that oh that's sad yeah oh god that's yeah. really sad i mean people now get I'm gonna pe- think about a bird like sitting in a pet shop with no one to love it yeah oh, i god. so yeah it's pretty i mean they're pretty fascinating um <laughs> i gotta say everybody loves the animal and car exercise what was cruise cruise was like a volvo a gorilla well somebody said <laughs> cruise gorilla volvo Again, I'm seeing Margie tweet this. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I'm reliving on? it. Uh, gorilla, because he's almost human. <laughs> I feel like Cruz is like a meerkat. I, th- I can think of meerkat when I think of Cruz. Yeah, they were um, 
There were some good there were some good responses there. So anyway, so you know, the views toward Trump, I mean to go back to some of these themes we're talking about. I mean, people you know, Trump has got a lot of press after New York for having this new tone. He's going to be presidential for about five seconds. He stopped shouting at people and everyone was like, whoa, what a, you know, I can't believe it. And then he went back to the same old Trump like five minutes later. Yeah. But anyway, that change, that complete makeover did not really make it through to the respondents in uh, in Pennsylvania last night. And they were really concerned that his temperaments was going to set people off. It was going to hurt our status among them in the world. It's going to upset world leaders. It's going to offend people, even if they found it at the same time refreshing and a sign of strength and meant that he could be strong in the general election. Um, they still worried about it. Um, it was it was quite interesting. Even the Republican primary voters who we thought by having some Trump and some not Trump that there would be this like never Trump versus Trumper, you know, fight. And there was no fight of any kind. They all felt like, you know, well, let, let's just discuss what the pros and cons are of Trump. They were not – there wasn't this sense like the Republican Party is going to be in real danger if he's the nominee. So let's do something at convention. In fact, when we t- tried to talk about the delegate process and the convention process, people thought, well, I don't understand any – like this doesn't make any sense. Like the person who has more delegates than the other folks should get the nomination. Like what do you mean – Paul Ryan, what? what? We're going to start from scratch? I mean, they just had no... All you people who think there's going to be a white knight, you got to stop living in cuckoo bananas land. It is not... That's not going to work. Yeah. People didn't want it because it just seems like a sign that the process is rigged. You know, like what tells you a rigged process more than any kind of delegate... You know, yeah. craziness going on. The the buzz now, and this is Hallie Jackson at NBC News sort of has noted, like she's talked to the Cruz folks and they now sort of believe that 1,200 is the delegate threshold, that if Trump can be kept below 1,200, that that makes it easier for the Cruz folks to make their case about whether or not, you know – you can fight Trump on the floor and get it on a second or third ballot. Um, we are going to be talking to Patrick Ruffini, my colleague from Echelon, here on one of our interview segments coming up. He has a podcast called Floor Fight that dives into all this stuff far more deeply than we will here. But uh, all I will say is it, it is, I think, important to keep in mind what you learned at these focus groups, which is that we here in the bubble may be like, oh, Rule 40 and like what if they change it? And, you know, the RNC just uh, at their – rules committee meeting uh, this week. They did not make changes to the rules. Like we're going in with this set of rules that would allow a non-Trump candidate to win, but are voters going to flip out if it's not Trump? Right. I mean, because polls have shown like a quarter to 30 percent say, okay, be acceptable for someone who's not running to get the nomination or for somebody who doesn't have the most delegates to get the nomination. You know, in theory, you look at that and you say, well, that's not – that's actually a pretty high number for something that people don't quite understand or they're not faced with yet. But I think if they actually see a nomination getting sort of ripped out of the hands of the front runner, someone who's been the front runner for the better part of a year, that's going to be a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, I think it'll depend on how big the gap is and how the messaging is handled. And Trump has already masterfully defined this as they're trying to steal it from me. And the the Cruz campaign or anybody else's message about how this is not delegate theft may be totally accurate and totally within the bounds of the rules. That's very different than the court of public opinion. Yep, yep. 
we'll get to talking about courts here in a little bit. <laughs> so, um, so moving on from 2016, ever so briefly, um, there there's been a new poll out uh, by the folks here at Purple Strategies for the App Association. It's called Act the App Association, and it's about encryption. So, you know, I think now the phone. Uh, San Bernardino phone is in our collective rearview mirror because the it's been accessed by the government. It's not quite on the front page, but this um, but this poll though shows that nonetheless there's still quite a bit of concern about encryption overall. I mean, these are really pretty huge numbers. Um, it's more you know uh, almost everybody agreeing with the statement. It's more important than ever to strengthen how we protect our data. Um, people agreeing that they should have the strongest safeguards available. Um, Consumer focused encryption is necessary to ensure data um, is secure and protected. People agree with those things, uh, not surprisingly. Um, But there's a couple other questions that I thought were pretty interesting. Quite a large number, almost three-fourths, say they feel the threats to their personal data from hackers is increasing. Um, you also have, you know, clear majority here. Eighty-six percent agree that um, adding a backdoor uh, for access to allow someone to get access to private, get around privacy and security concerns, um, will actually create more threats. So there's a real worry about some of these, you know, backdoor issues that we've been talking about. Um, and almost everybody agrees that we should be continually developing technology that could say a step ahead to keep personal information private. Um, Security is more at risk when private information like pictures of our children are vulnerable. So, you know, uh, it, it, is this top of mind relative to some of these other things, right? This is kind of like the Refinery 2029 question like, OK, let's take aside the economy. Is this a concern? I mean, this is, you know, these are these are pretty high numbers or it's not asked relative to, you know, losing your job kind of concerns. But still, I found the numbers really, even if you look at just the strongest category, quite high. Well, and what's interesting about this debate is that something like encryption, you have folks on both sides of the aisle that are trying to or not. When I say aisle, I don't actually mean this in a partisan way, because this is not an issue that splits along like normal partisan lines at all. Um, But I guess on both sides of this debate, you have an argument that their position on encryption is the safer one. On the one hand, folks that were saying, Yes, you should have to have these back doors. Yes, you should be able to get in. The argument is, well, we need to be able to get in the back door of ISIS's communications. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's not the technical term. But, you know, that we need right now that folks like ISIS can communicate completely in the dark because of stuff we've created to protect good consumers. On the other hand, if you create back doors, then all of a sudden our financial system could be more right. at risk. The private stuff you've got on your phone can be more at risk. So – I mean, there's there's a safety argument on both sides, but it is, I feel like, pretty notable that you have 59% strongly agreeing that people think that encryption keeps us safer. Right. It protects big systems right. that we need to keep protected from threats. Right. And a majority say they trust technology companies like Apple, Google, and Facebook more than they trust the federal government. A fifth say they trust the federal government, including agencies like the FBI. So – I guess that's not surprising. <laughs> Do you trust the three most most trusted tech companies or the federal government? Um, but as always, we link to the show link to all the stuff in our show notes. Uh, so up next, we want to just talk briefly about a topic that has been weighing on my mind for the last week. Poor Margie's had to listen to me like stress about this for two weeks. No, I get it. Come up with like my strategy. So I got summoned for jury duty, and I pushed it because it. Had, I was getting called on a day when I had to go do a focus group trip, and like if you work in this industry, you know once focus groups are rolling, 
Like it's, you can't just stop the recruit. And cha- like it's thousands of dollars yeah. that you just light on fire. So right. it's like, all right, and, I got to use my defense. And the main job is to like you have to be there. Like, yeah. like if you're not there, there is no like half half doing it. Like Jesse you have to be there. at my there. firm is trained and able and an amazing moderator. And but like. I needed to be there for yeah. this one. So um, so I, I pushed my date and I pushed it to this past Wednesday. And then, of course, like get pulled into a courtroom and they're doing the whole voir dire process where they ask you all these questions. And like I have to travel for more focus groups and like speaking things. And I got my Richard Branson thing on Tuesday. Like, wow, am I not excited about the idea of going up to a judge and being like, please let me free because Richard Branson, like that would be insane. Like right. I would just get laughed out of the courtroom. Um, luckily – this judge was very kind, and so I got another deferment. So, Way to go! Yay! Thank you. That's good because I went to I Angel. went because I went to one of those, and people were coming up with all kinds of crazy reasons, like my and like my husband's out of the country, and I'm the only one with the kids, and he's like, okay, too bad. Like, I mean, every, you know, every single person, yeah. like I take care of my elderly, you know, parent. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. I mean, like people had he had no patience for anybody's. Anything as well, you should, because otherwise everyone's gonna right. Know. Exactly. Well, and I, I was make, I made the case, like, just let me reschedule again. Just give me a second deferment. Yeah. I'll be, you know, I'm not trying to get out of this. I actually, I feel like I'd be a really good jur- jury You'd be foreman. An excellent. Right. Like, moderating focus groups, I think, would make you an excellent jury foreman in a way. Like, we're gonna let's get this discussion going. Let's make it productive. Let's make sure everybody's heard. You haven't watched the jury episode of. The People versus OJ. I have not. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Reconsider whether or not you want to be a jury. I'm like, I'm not trying to get out of this. I'm just telling you. I were and she and so anybody who worked in elections was sort of getting like an okay. So anyhow, jury duty's been top of mind. So I of course looked up data on what do people think about jury duty. Apparently, 66 percent of U.S. adults surveyed by YouGov back in 2013 say that they have been called for jury duty. Um, 40 percent say they have been selected to serve on a jury. That seems very high. It does seem high, but then actually, anecdotally, as I was going through this and was like, oh my god, I'm totally going to get put on some trial and have to be there forever. Uh, a lot of people had experiences, and and some of them quite positive. And here in this data, it suggests that that is uh, that is representative. That you have about sixty eight percent of people who have served on a jury who said they had a good experience with it. That it's a kind of interesting. That's good. And, um, and it says if you're called for jury duty in the next year, would you try to get excused? Would you try not to get excused but hope not to get selected? Or try not to get excused but hope to get to selected? Uh, and that only. 24% of people want to get excused. Um, the rest say that they are going to go and not try to get excused, but you have 31% say they hope they don't get picked and 27% saying they hope they do get picked. Hmm. And then 17% are not sure. Which now, I don't want to get excused. The no. new date that I've got is great and I would You're love- going to protect it. I'm Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to schedule anything for like the two weeks around it so that I have no – Nothing going on. Attention criminals. You want Kristen on your jury. Actually, let's please. I'm going to like wear, wear my glasses, maybe like a mustache. Like None of you watch Morning Joe, right? Nope. <laughs> That'll be one of the questions. Okay. So we want to close by talking about this ad that it really that just hits our sweet spot. Um, so it's by Organic Valley and they make a variety of dairy, organic dairy products, cottage cheese, milk, yogurt, regular cheese, all that kind of stuff. You could tell I have a lot of this kind of stuff in my fridge. And they did a poll that showed a lot of women 
um, who work full time, um, you know, struggle with what they do in the morning. So they, you know, they rank doing their hair and makeup and showering as more important than eating breakfast. Fact. Yes. They have eaten in a moving vehicle, yes, and over a third say they still re- – they will re-wear dirty clothes. Mm, yeah. Well, okay. Maybe I won't have been to that so easily. But um, uh, – and then do you check your work email before getting out of bed? Yes. If it's dry clean only and you can just steam it. But then it's not really dirty. Maybe. Okay. I Does guess hanging just... it in the bathroom while you're showering count yeah. as steaming it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. But um, and do you check work email before getting out of bed? Yes, right. and have, so all of these things, you know, seem obvious, right, or not obvious to Kristen and I, and um, and so Kristen and me, and so then they made an ad, kind of poking fun at this, and it was it's so good, and so it starts with this like poking fun at this like trope of women in commercials doing yoga and you know journaling and like making your own kombucha and doing Pinterest and having a vision board, like that whole sort of version of how women are in ads versus what it's really like where, you know, you never make your bed and you, um, you know, you're using a scarf to cover up a stain on your shirt or you're cursing at something and you're dropping your phone and you're doing 50 things at once and uh, you barely have time for breakfast. You're eating in the car and it is so folks really have to watch it because we can't do it justice. It's that funny. It's that good. It's very accurate. Although I have to say, I you know, so we watch it and we see the it poking fun at the woman who's like doing the serene yoga in the morning before right. she goes and makes her like super fulfilled organic breakfast in her kitchen. So there was an article that I post or that I saw a friend post on Facebook once that was like. 110 things successful women do every day. And it was a joke, but it was like 110 <laughs> things that were like this. You know, and it was That's like, funny. it was like, wake up and immediately get out of bed without snoozing. <laughs> then meditate for 10 minutes. Then go into the bathroom and, you know, make sure that you exfoliate when you're in the shower. Oh, God, right. Use a deep conditioner on your hair. Then do this, you know, and it's like, and it's just a ridiculous long list of things that includes like, write down, you know, things in your journal that you're grateful for that day. Come up with your list of intentions <laughs> for the day. And so my friend posts this list and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, I do like four of the things on this 110 things list. And then there's a girl that I know, Lindsay if you're listening, I love you. But she was like, didn't get the joke because she was like, <laughs> I do most of these things. Like, is she? Well, that's good. She no, must be a happy she, person. Yes. Well, so she she doesn't. She was like, I don't have kids. Like, I don't. Yeah. You know. So she was like, maybe that's why. But she like, I saw it as clearly this funny thing that was like. This is ridiculous. Nobody can do these things. There's not enough physical time in the day to do them. And Lindsay's like, no, I get up at five every day and I run and then I have my organic food and then I use coconut oil on my face and hair. And like, I'm like, oh, my God, you're a real person. (laughs) Yeah, it was funny. I sent that to a client and some folks and they're like, well, we thought you were like this. I'm like, yeah, no, maybe this would have described me when I had one kid and. You know, a few years ago, but I got no excuse. This is not. It's not really. It's not really a description of me anymore. But uh, folks have to watch it. It's just too, too funny. It's really well done. It's the most popular thing we've ever put on Facebook, beating out everything. Trump is an authoritarian. Man sneaks in a lens focus group. Whatever. <laughs> Chevy Chase is snobby. All those things were completely crushed by women. Wish they could not shampoo their hair. But yeah. So the whole ad is just women then reciting these polling findings. So that's really, in addition to the emotional resonance your hosts feel for this ad, (laughs) it is also an ad that is a celebration 
of amazing polling data. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Margie, what did we learn this week? So, thank you, Organic Valley, for turning my life into an ad. Using research, if you hit any closer to home, you'd be in my linen closet. Uh, New York, New York, it's a heck of a town. Trump is up and Sanders is down. I don't know if anybody recognizes the song. I don't really feel like I could sing it. It's my last New York, bad New York joke. When it comes to encryption, you're going to have to pry people's iPhones out of their anxious hands, sweaty, anxious hands. And if Kristen is on a jury, it's just going to give her more time to catch up on the people versus OJ. And if this podcast was an animal or a car, (laughs) what would it be? Would it be a chromed out vintage Vespa, a baby penguin, (laughs) a wild chinkatigue pony, (laughs) pizza rat? Listeners, this is your micro assignment for the week. If this show was a car or an animal, what would it be? I'm almost afraid to read the Twitter mentions. Okay, where can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. You can find us individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. We're at thepolsters.com where you can look up our show notes each week with links to all of the polls we've discussed on the show. Check us out on Facebook where we post links to all of the things we might be talking about in the next week's show. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, your favorite podcatcher. Get both of our episodes each week, our interview show and our regular show that comes out each Thursday. Uh, And last but not least, make sure you write a review if you like us and you haven't written one yet. Great. Thanks. Bye. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.